The Bayou Dragons podcast would like to thank Floyd Fabrication for sponsoring this podcast. Listen, guys, if you're starting a business, you want to get some prints, you want to get some hats, you want to get some canvases, whatever your need is, Floyd Fabrication's got you covered. Ben Floyd down there in Florida is a real great guy, great friend of the podcast. He has taken care of us in every regard possible. If you guys want quality prints, you want quality shirts, you want quality hats, Floyd Fabrication's got you covered. Check him out on Instagram. Check him out on Facebook. That's Floyd Fabrication. Uh, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Bayou Dragons podcast. You got Mr. Matthew McCall hosting for you guys today, joined by my brother, Mitchell. Unfortunately, P. May couldn't make it this evening. He, um, well, I don't know what he's doing. I think he's nah, just Porter's, um, we're doing a boat show, or we're doing the boat show up in Houston. Porter's running the, the booth up there, so... He's not here today, but we do have a good friend uh, joining us today, Colton Castellaw, also known as CC Duck Call. Colton, how you doing today? Oh, pretty good. How about y'all? Shit, can't complain. Man, I'm doing fantastic. Sitting here on the couch with you guys, uh, about to put in a nice pinch of Copenhagen, cold beer in hand, man. Always cold that. beer in hand. But we wanted to have Colton on, and um, we took a trip with Colton in November up north, and Shot a bunch of birds, had a blast, and I said, Colton, man, we're going to have to have you on the podcast, talk about hunting and whatever the hell else we're going to get into. But, uh, Colton, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of how you got into doing these trips that you do, because I know you take multiple every year. Yeah, I, I started I started doing these trips probably four or five years ago, uh, but just like anybody else, Southeast Texas, you know, I started, my dad took me hunting around here. We'd go shoot wood ducks or whatever in the marsh, then... Once I started getting my upper teens, uh, I started getting at the refuges, hunted J.D. Murphy's all my life. I mean, I mean, we killed, we've killed so many birds out of J.D. Murphy's, it, it ain't even funny. And it just got to the point where there's just so many people hunting, so much competition, it just, just wasn't worth it anymore. It ain't no lie, man, that especially J.D. Murphy's, you drive by, and I think we've talked about it on here before, you oh, drive probably by. Probably a hundred times we've talked about that, man, but that's a hot These time. guys are waiting in line, you know, several days before the hunt and that's just crazy man yeah there'll, there'll be people two or three days before before uh the day they hunt just waiting in line like there's there's just no way there's no way to compete yeah. with that no and and uh, we have jobs yeah you know? so so i got with a buddy of mine uh cole townsend and calvin johnson uh they kind of showed me the route i went up hunting with them in amarillo they they guide for the at the time they were guiding for goose reapers which now they're at cadillac creek outfitters but Kind of learned from them. They kind of showed me the roots, what to do. So me and me and a couple buddies, me and three buddies. Well, two of them not not so much buddies anymore. But uh, we decided, look, we're gonna take a trip. We're gonna go up north. We're gonna try it. We're gonna try it for ourselves. So we did. We got on the road. We drove twenty three hours. Went to North Dakota. It's the first place I ever went. Went in November. It was cold. Everything was froze. So we kind of based our trip off the river. Kind of like we did when we went. Based it off the river. And uh, we went up there not knowing anything about anything no farmers we didn't know nothing we just got on the road and went and uh got up there booked our hotel and everything and got on the road started scouting next thing i know we just the bird the birds were there and they were just all over the river which all the pond stuff were froze so they were just all roosting on the river so it really wasn't that hard to go find birds and then the first, first matter of fact first farmer I ever talked to is actually an old lady and she owned a, a buffalo farm she raised a bunch of buffalo up there huh. And uh, one of the nicest old ladies up there, and I asked her, of course, 
told, told her a little spiel. I'm from Texas. Come up here to shoot some geese and stuff. And she let me hunt her property. And that's actually the first goose hunt I've ever made on my own was in a little wheat field. And that next morning, we killed, we killed our four-man in Canada. And then from there, I was just hooked. Hooked. Yeah. Just just went from there. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, – I felt the same way, dude. It was like, you know, having to – the. It's like, man, hunting down here, you know, it just it just wears on you so much. Having to, to put, I mean, it physically, mentally, being out there. And it does, it, it just beats you up, man. And it's like that first morning of, you know, hey, getting exclusive permission to go and hunt birds. You know, I think the first morning we hunted, we didn't get out there until a little bit later. We tra- kind of figured out the birds were, you know, flying in a little bit later. And so we're like, man, let's go get breakfast first, man. We got out of bed. We went and had breakfast. Went and brushed up and jumped in the blinds, and I was like, holy crap, man, this is nice. Yeah. Now, this is the way to do it. I ain't going to lie. I was kind of worried on this trip. Uh, me and Porter and me and uh, Cole, we was talking before the trip because I knew how cold it was going to be. I knew it was going to be in the negative. It negative was cold 18. as shit. It was A lot of snow. I, I was honestly a little worried. I didn't know what the birds were going to do because I've never hunted in tents like that. I mean, I've hunted in 20s and teens and stuff all the time up there, but I've never hunted in negatives. So I, I mean, we were sitting at what? I mean, average temp for the morning hunt oh. was single digits to – negatives and snow and just a lot of ice wind. And wind wind was a killer on a couple of those days it was crazy conditions yeah and, and going up there once once we got up there i knew how cold it was i knew the birds were gonna fly later but hell we didn't see the first bird at what 11 11 30 mm-hmm. i was getting worried for a while i said like, man I, I don't know maybe they're not here yeah and the next thing you know let 10 uh 10 30 11 o'clock i don't know what time it was but they just come out of nowhere and they just kept coming and they flew all evening i don't know how many birds were seen that evening but it was a lot mainly we're talking about canada geese while we were up there, we hunted mainly Canada's, and we did get to shoot some mallards. But man, it's just uh, those birds are in those conditions. They were they knew where they wanted to go, and they knew where they wanted to be. And sometimes you can't get permission to hunt where they're going to be. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's no that's no up there makes them dumb too. They just they get off the river and they're so hungry they just come straight to the fields and they want to get get in that snow and feed. And the the birds up there are just so dumb. The snow mm-hmm. makes them dumb from what I've seen, which that's the first time, that's actually the first time I've ever hunted in the snow. But just over the four or five years of me hunting when it's not snowed, them birds were just dumb. I'd oh, like to was, hunt when the temperatures are, I mean, it was badass hunting in, in those conditions. Don't get me wrong. It was cold as fuck. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to hunt in a little, you know, warmer conditions. I'm sure it would be a little more pleasant, but it was still a very, it was the best hunting trip I've ever been on, hands down. Yeah. But uh, one thing I noticed, this was my first trip to travel and hunt birds in different areas. I mean, I've hunted coastal marsh. I've hunted, you know, the bayou. I've hunted rice fields, stuff around here, but I've never got to hunt the, the dry field scenario. And one thing I noticed, man, when we were putting out those spreads, we were running dive bomb silhouettes. That's all we ran the whole time. And, man, you knew exactly how to orchestrate those spreads um, depending on the wind direction, you know, the conditions. How did you learn how to set those spreads as good as you do? Because then birds were falling right in exactly where you wanted them to. Yeah, which, like I said, a lot, a lot of that, the dry field stuff, like I said, Colt taught me a lot about it, what to look for. But just as a typical duck hunter, you know the birds are going to work into the wind. So you always want to make your kill pocket right out in front of you, depending on the wind, depending on your height too. A lot of times – I mean, you got to go off of how you're high because sometimes you can't you can't shoot them in the face. Sometimes the way your height's set up, you got to shoot them in the side or whatever you got to do. You never really want to shoot them in the in the butt, but I mean, sometimes you might have to the way yeah. way you set up. Yeah. But I always like the best condition you want to set it. I like to set a little OU and they down or the wind the wind blowing from your back to them and they come straight to you. I mean, that's the best 
best way possible. And that's kind of the same thing that we do down here in the marsh, hunting over water. You know, we've always, I feel like we run the same damn spread every time we hunt. We try to set up with the wind to our back. We throw a group to the left, a group to the right, little pocket of teal, and make that landing zone, you know, right in the middle. I mean, that's ideal, I guess, for dry field as well. You want to make that landing zone for them right there in the middle. Yeah, and a lot of times while you're scouting, if you'll just pay attention to the birds and see how they're kind of set up, like – once we got to uh, up to Canada this year, I noticed I noticed the birds in that snow. They kind of just they were just in big wads. It yeah. wasn't like they were spread out. They just they wanted to be real close to each other feeding. And that's kind of how I based our spread. I'd put it real real close and just spread it just a little bit out. That way they have a little landing zone. But not all of all of our birds different the singles. They wanted right where the thick the thick wad of uh, decoys was. No doubt, no doubt. I think it'd be really tough to like actually pattern out the way that they are when they're in the field because if you're looking at them from ground level. You're just going to see a big mass of birds, right, that goes from left to right, and it's thick, you know, all the way back. And like we did, we tried to scout them a little bit with drones, and those birds were very, very spooky. I've seen some really cool, like, duck videos of drone footage, and I'm thinking, how in the world do they get so close to these birds? And I guess the ducks are a lot different because these geese, man, you'd cross a property line 300 yards away, and they were alert, and they knew it, and something they would just spook every time. We tried it on a couple of smaller little you know, pods feeding in fields, and, man, it was like they just knew instantly. And so it's, I mean, you you never know, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's too, you know, too important that you get extremely technical, right? That's the same way I feel about throwing my spread out in the marsh, you know. You want that pocket, you want to set them up to come in right out in front of you. I just think, you know, throwing that pocket and kind of mixing it up here and there, throwing a couple pods out to the left and the right, just make it look ducky, you know. Yeah. And for geese, I feel, I, I think I'd say this is, is the same way, you know, just, you know, like you were saying, though, depending on the weather, you know, kind of your density, whether you're going to spread it out or you're going to kind of pack it in. Yeah, I've seen a lot of times, like in North Dakota, when it's when it's hot weather, I've noticed sometimes them birds would be all over the field. There'll just be one here, one there. There might be, I mean, be 2,000 birds, but they're going to take up the entire field. I mean, I've seen, them, I've seen them spread out like that before. And I've seen people, I've seen a lot of videos of people running, uh, running spreads. They'll run. We'll run their decoys two, three hundred yards away from them, which I've never personally done that, but I've seen it before like that. I have seen where, you know, it, it kind of it thins out the farther you get away, yeah. right? And then it yeah. gets denser the closer to uh-huh. the to the hide. Um, but one thing I did notice hunting geese was that a lot of those fees that we were finding were in the smack dab in the middle of the field. Yeah. They were as far from any edge of that field as they could possibly get, right there in the middle, and they'd start in the middle and eat their way out. Yeah. And it was, I mean, to me, that – that says, you know, they want to have as much vision around them as possible for those sentries to be able to watch the rest of the feed. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times they land out there because they're watching for predators and stuff. Right. While they're feeding and stuff, I think they land out in the middle because they feel safe. They feel safe out in the middle and not, not around them levees and stuff. They feel protected out in the middle and stuff. It was crazy to me the amount of tracks, waterfowl tracks that we saw, particularly in that cornfield we hunted where we shot the six-man of honkers and mallards. Just the amount you go out there, we're setting up, and there's just tracks, man. You, you know, you you talk about other game trails, other game tracks. These are just straight goose tracks all over this field. And, we're and, like, and they're green, here, green shit, yep. all throughout yeah. the field, man. You knew yeah. they were there. Yeah, a lot of times when we're scouting or or I'd say scouting, I try to make a mark right where the geese are sitting. Mm-hmm. But you can once you go in the morning, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for tracks or goose shit. Yeah, but in the snow, I mean. There's so many geese sitting out in these snow fields that you could just see where they melted the snow. You yep. could just see, like, the corn stalks. Then the rest of the field would be just nothing but snow. So it's kind of easy to, to point out where they're exactly sitting the evening before. 
So I will say Colton obviously knows what he's doing up north, and he also does some guiding down here on the coast, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit. But I do want to bring up a funny story from the trip that we went on. So how everything was working, this was my first time. You go out there, you scout, and then you got to get permission to hunt these properties, right? So everyone, Matthew uh, did a lot of asking, knocking on doors, asking permission, uh, I think Colton, you know, also did a lot of that. And I was riding with Colton one day and we found this good little feed and he was like, man, let's, let's try to get permission on that property. I was like, okay, you know, it's my time, you know, I'm going to go up there and ask cause I haven't asked permission yet. I just had, I'm, it wasn't that I didn't want to, it just, I haven't had the opportunity to do it. So I'm gonna go knock on the door and, you know, be polite and I'm gonna get permission. Dude, I get out of the truck, this fucking dog. Colton knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Everyone else, you know, they invited him in for, you know, watch TV. Oh, yeah, come hunt, you know. Well, no, the property owner's house that I went to, this fucking guard dog just attacks me, man. And I just look back at the truck, and they're laughing their asses off. But I'm fearing for my life, dude. I think this dog's about to take my damn leg off. I'm not exaggerating either. This no, dog was, as soon as I jumped out of the truck, he started showing his teeth. I was like, ah, he'll be okay. Nah, dude. <laughs> He tried to latch onto my leg, dude, when I was going up the porch. I had like three or four layers on, so I didn't feel it. But he, I'm pretty sure he latched onto my leg for a split second, and then I finally calmed him down. Yeah, that was, that was some shit. What was you saying? Come here, Poochie. I was trying to calm him down, man. I, he's a good good guard dog, I guess. Shit. Oh, man, man, Cole, we was rolling in a truck. And I've never had an experience with a dog like that. I've always, I've always, I'm waiting for the time. I'm going to pull up somebody's house. There's going to be a dog, and it's going to bite me. Sure enough, <laughs> Mitch picked the house, and he damn near bit him. And it was one of the one of one. He was one. He's one hundred percent being attacked by a dog mm-hmm. every time he's asked to. Uh, and for the uh, the owners of the property were not home. We could not get a hold of them, so it was for nothing. So, but and, uh, and we tried to get a hold of them guys for for quite. Oh a while, yeah, two, I went. I went to the same house. I think earlier that day or maybe the day before, and dog didn't bother me. I was just not like something against me. Not liked your scent that day. <laughs> yeah, that's um. Then people they, they must like. they just must go somewhere else in the winter time or something. Probably, probably on the roost. But we never did get a hold of them, which, I mean, really don't matter if we did or not. Them birds left. They left quick. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. if they ever came back to that uh, alfalfa field. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I didn't, not sure. But. I didn't realize, like, how much goes into when you travel, you know, different places to hunt. There's a lot of time, and I feel like in order to be successful, there's a lot of time that goes into scouting alone. I mean, it's an all-day affair. I mean, even if you find your field, you make your hunt, you're scouting the rest of the day to have a good hunt the next day. Yeah, scout, scouting is definitely key. I mean, if you don't scout, you're not going to kill birds. There's nothing else to it. Yeah. But scouting ain't the, the only thing to it. Scout, scouting's half of it, but the other half is actually talking to know how to talk to them farmers and stuff and ask them how to get permission and stuff. Because, I mean, you may you may find five, 6,000 birds, but, I mean, you got to get the permission to hunt them. Yeah. And, uh, but scouting is key. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You got you to know where the roots. That's That's the whole deal. You got to know where the birds are roosting, and you got to know where they're going to feed. Yeah, man. Yeah. It, it was like for me, I mean, it, you, we were talking about it while we were up there and, and how, you know, you're real big on scouting. You hit the road all day, you know, until you're comfortable with at least, you know, tomorrow's hunt and then a fallback plan if something happens. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's when you're out there on the road and you're you're hunting and scouting every single day, every waking moment, right, you're, you're so far from home, you've put in so much time and effort um, you know, to, to make this hunt happen. So you're not going to waste any time. You, you want to be ensuring your success for as, as much of a, the trip as you possibly can. And so, you know, in the moment, like, like you're dog tired, you're running the roads, you're scouting, you're talking to people. Um, 
but that like adds so much to the experience. Like looking back at this and talking about it with you guys, like, like th- that one, that one farmer, I went into his house and he invited me in. We're sitting there watching the football game and just sitting there talking, you know, like that was so cool, man. And I think just the, the takeaways from all that is just, it's just as fun as, you know, sitting here talking about it as it was to experience, man. It was, it was super cool. Yeah. Which, which hunting these birds, hunting these birds are fun. Don't get me wrong, but I, I really like honestly scouting, getting permission. That that's almost makes my hunt to me. Yeah, finding the birds, working for them, getting the permission, setting up. I mean, that there's nothing better than that. Yeah, right, right, right. That's but, a lot uh, I was it, surprised, man. man. I mean, we had a pretty good body count at the end of the trip, and we did not bring back one band, not a single one. I was expecting at least one. You yeah. know, it's crazy. I've I've been doing this. I don't know four or five years now. And, I've I've actually never killed a band up north, but I've been on a hunt where we killed one band. This was two years ago. Yeah, two years ago in North Dakota was when we went in October. But we had we had quite a few guys hunting with us. We killed a banded Mallard Drake. But you know, out of all these Canada geese, you'd think we'd we'd kill one by at now. least one actually, shit. I know. I, I've actually never killed a Canada goose. It's band. the it's the craziest thing, you know. I see all these guys that are much, much farther north and you know, I, I think a lot of the bands that get killed too and I'm not 100% certain on this. This is just me speculating, but, you know, if you track birds and you see birds in the area and you, you're able to glass them and see if it's not covered in snow, obviously we couldn't see much of the of the birds, you know, the legs of them at least. But, you know, if you, you find a, a group of birds, oftentimes if they're banded together, they'll they'll flock together and they'll, oh, yeah. they'll keep flying together. So if you have a group come in and you shoot five of them, and it happens to be a group that was banded together, you know, you may have four bands out of that group. Yeah, a lot of the times I see people killing bands, it's multiple. You know, they then birds get banded together, and they, I guess they just stay together. But yeah. what I was getting at that surprised me was that I've seen more bands killed in our area than I've killed on the road. Yeah, and a guy, uh, a guy that got with group. us here in Winnie, they killed a pintail, pintail drake band. Uh, That's a trophy right there. Oh, yeah. A couple of days ago, I think, Jake Jordan. Uh, Nibs Bandit, Saskatchewan, Canada. No shit. All the way down to Winnie. That yeah, is a sure badass did. trophy right there. Yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, it's incredible. You don't see that many Bandit Pinto. Definitely yeah. around here. No, no. I've no. only ever seen one, and I was lucky enough to have been on the hunt. Um, and this is another thing that seems to be a, a trend. I don't know if you guys have, have had this happen as much to you as I have, but it's always the guys that don't hunt very often, and maybe even the new guys yeah. that get the band. And I've been hunting with so many times on – I say this like it's been, you know, a bunch of times. Really, in reality, 10 times or less, right? Because bands don't get shot that often. But with guys that have been hunting their whole lives since we were kids, and then we'll bring somebody hunting, and they'll shoot a band. Yeah. And we're like, son of a bitch, I've shot, you know, this is so many birds and never shot a band. And this guy, you know, first hunt or second hunt or whatever, you know, maybe maybe he's been hunting for a long time, but he only hunts once or twice a year, and he comes out and shoots a band, uh, but we had a guy that hunted with us in College Station. We brought him out. It's his first ever hunt. He shot a, a banded pintail drake. That's how it goes a lot of the time. I shot my band, my first band. Um, shit, I was in high school, and it was just a, a hunt one weekend. I wasn't hunting that much, and I shot a banded uh, green wing teal drake. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've personally actually only shot, which I've been hunting all my life. I've hunted ever since I was probably six, seven years old, just going with my dad's stuff, wood duck holes, and working my head. And I've hunted every year of my life. Now, I've actually only killed one band. It was a wood duck drake out of whole days out of Texas. Yeah, I just I, and I no telling how many birds I killed over the years. I just, a bunch. I just unlucky. Just yeah. don't don't kill no bands. The crazy uh, the crazy thing about it too is that if you like look at the total number of bands, like if you're like me, I, I hunt with 
the same guy. I've hunted with the same guys my whole life. I don't go and hunt with different people throughout the season. Um, it's me and my brother and, you know, five less than probably five or less guys, you know, throughout the entire season, unless somebody invites me along. Um, but I mean, between all of us, the, the entire group that we hunt with, you know, so few bands have been killed, even traveling the roads, you know, yeah. it's wild, man. Um, it's definitely like a, like that. Some of these guys, man, they're like, oh, you know, we killed a band, dude. When we kill a band, it's like a whole, you'd a have thought we won the Super Bowl, yeah. dude, like, you know what I mean? I've only seen, I mean, a handful uh, shot down here. Anyway, I got to see Matt shoot his first one out here in Anahuac Marsh, and uh, that was pretty badass. And me and Tanner, for some reason, dude, when I hunt with Tanner at least once a season, we both shoot at the same bird, and he's fucking banded. <laughs> and... uh we flipped for one one year. Of course, he won, got that one. And then uh, last season, I just started getting into filming hunts and shit, you know, trying to record for the for our brand. And uh, there was this duck, dude, and he was committed. I was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to get this one on film. Of course, it was a model duck, and they never fucking decoy, right? Never. This duck was like probably five foot above the water, just slowly – Wings locked all the way across the pond, right into the spread. Tanner shoots and he's banded. I was like, "You got to be shitting me!" <laughs> I have a fucking camera in my hand. That's what yeah, sucks damn, about damn it because you know I try to get content for us, and you know I like to. I would rather shoot with my shotgun than my camera, but a lot of the times, you know, I'm trying to record a bunch of our stuff too. So yeah, and y'all, and y'all got some really good stuff up north. You got yeah. a lot of pictures, oh, yeah, a lot dude. of videos. You got some it, good, good quality stuff. It's so guys. hard already to to put the shotgun down. But on a trip like that, you know, when you go, and for me, it's it's my first time to hit the road that far north, especially, you know, first time ever hunting honkers. Um, that, for me, I was like, okay, like, I, I'm i prioritizing the hunt on this one. Like, we're going to get some good stuff, and I could have gotten even so much more, but I was like, man, this is, this is a first for me. Uh, this may never happen again. Now, obviously, ideally, I, I will be going back, but... You never know, man. I die tomorrow, right? You, you know, you so I'm, know. I'm going to have this experience. Yep. And my so goal was my goal was the first couple hunts. I wanted to not even worry about filming shit. I wanted to experience everything to the max, and I did. You know, it was it was definitely an awesome experience. But then, you know, you see all these birds falling in the spread. I'm like, fuck, this will make some badass footage. So yeah. you know, a lot of the time I was putting down the gun and videoing those birds falling in, and I got some really badass footage out of it and it was freaking cool they were they were landing close too i mean yeah. there, there was a lot of birds just walking around in decoys what i call cherry birds just let a single or two land while you got a big group working they they're just walking around decoys just dumb just sitting there eating grass and stuff like yeah it's, it's unreal but yeah. see, and i ain't gonna lie this this is probably one of the best trips i've ever been on and i ain't gonna lie to nobody and i've been doing this for a while and i've seen a lot of the country but the, bir the birds were just – there were so many birds there, and, and I think I had a lot to do with the snow. I really do, but that's definitely the best trip I've ever been on personally. There's no doubt about it. Well, I'm spoiled now. It was my first yeah, traveling trip. Y'all definitely got There's no doubt yeah. about it. But, I mean, I know what to expect now, and uh, I feel like I've learned a lot just from going with you that, that one trip, dude. Like, now we've actually bought our own trailer, and I want to start doing these trips as much as possible. I mean, going up north is just a whole other experience, and it's – I just, like you were talking about earlier, I don't like fighting the fucking people down here. Yeah, that's one reason I started going north. And I do enjoy, I love our coastal marsh. We have a great, uh, several great wildlife refuges to hunt. We hold quite a few birds. It's it's great hunting down here, but, you know, 
it's becoming more popular just like everywhere else and everybody wants to fucking shoot ducks now which is great you know as long as they're doing it legally and uh respecting other hunters but it's just a it's kind of a pain in the ass to hunt down here now yeah, yeah. it's just getting out of hand now down here that's what's crazy like up there up there we, we didn't we didn't see any hunters besides yeah. mule deer hunters or pheasant hunters <clears throat> we didn't run into any goose hunters there. we had the whole place to ourselves which North Dakota is a little different, which depends on what time of the year you go. October's popular. There's people in every corner of North Dakota, but there's just there's so much farmland up there, and every pond on every corner's got ducks in it. So it's not not as hard up there, but but my, uh, up there in Canada, we was at. There's just the part of Canada we was at. There's just nobody up there. Right. And it was a lot of fun. Right. But I, I did truly enjoy that experience. But uh, man, let's hop into a uh, another subject. So recently, you started. You used to. I mean, the past couple of years, you haven't really hunted down here just because of all the people. And recently, you started doing a little guiding yourself, huh? Yep, yep. I I haven't uh, really hunted down here, and ever since I started going north, I just the hunt was so good up there. I just I quit hunting down here really. And here recently, uh, Spencer Kniff got me got me back into hunting down here. And uh, now I'm, I'm guiding for Drake Plantation there and Winnie for Brian Fisher. You and Spencer kind of connected because. Um, I'm assuming because you brought him up north, correct? Yes, yeah. Spent me and Spencer. We went. He went to North Dakota with me this year. We had a blast. And uh, when we got back, he actually called me while I was out on the lake fishing back in. Uh, I think this was December. He called me. He said, "Hey, he's like uh, Brian needs some help. You know, if you want to come get into the guide, he's I need you to be here in the morning." It's okay. So I went, got in my first group I've ever got in my life. How and was then, that experience? Uh, it's different. I mean, you're you're taking a lot of people that go once, maybe twice a year. A right. lot of people don't don't even know how to hunt, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a little different. You just got to talk to guys, make sure they're doing the gun safety. Don't shoot my dog. Shoot, Listen shoot to what you say. You know, don't, you were yeah, calling the shot. Don't jump the shot. This and that. You just got to talk to them before the hunt. But but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Which I've only I've only done it for three or four weeks now, but I'm going to continue to do it next season. And yeah, no, 100%. On. So I definitely it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a, a different experience, that's for sure. No yeah, doubt. That was something that growing up, man, that was like, like growing up, they're like, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a guy. You know, I was like, man, I want to take people hunting. Uh, my mom was like, you found out what you do at, what you're good at, Matthew. You're pretty good at hunting. You know, you go out there and you, you always get the birds, you know. I was like, damn right i'm gonna go guide yeah. <laughs> and i, I want to do it so bad man i still even in, want a guide but i just um man there that's a uh, we got a lot of irons in the fire there's a right lot now. of irons in the fire and another thing is the outfitters that are already established in our area have all the good land is already accounted for it's already yeah. leased up so i mean if you're wanting to even start your own or you could go guide for someone else but if you want to start your own guide service here in southeast texas there's not a lot of uh, land to pick from if you're looking to lease property to do that. Yeah, yeah but I, I think I am going to at some point. That's something I, that's kind of a goal of mine that I've had. I want to I want to guide groups at, at some least point. for a season. Just try it out. You know? Yeah, I mean the thing about it for me is like I understand the risk of, of you taking you know people that that aren't hunting very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love taking people, man. I love interacting with new people. I, I love talking to people and seeing others have new experiences. So yeah. that's something I would love to do, and I think. I think I'm going to do it at some point. No doubt about it. Took a quick break just then. Um, we're going to jump back into it and uh, talk a little bit about uh, about some more goose hunting. Um, you know, during our break, me and Colton were talking about some some of the effects of, of what we've been seeing over the past year of, of a new, uh, they call it the avian flu. I'm sure most of you guys have heard about it by now. Um, 
seen videos of it anyway. I've been seeing a couple, you know, come across my feed on like Instagram and stuff. Yeah, I mean, and it's something that, you know, him and I talked about actually when we were on the road and I'd asked him, I kept seeing these videos and mainly in snow geese. Um, and I asked Colton, I was like, man, you've been hunting Canada's for quite a while. You know, been doing it a lot this year already. Have you seen any of this in, in Canada geese? He said, no, nah, man, I've only mainly seen it in snows, you know, and then it was like, after that, I started seeing a lot of videos of it in, in Canada's and I started sending them to him and it was just the, it's just the wildest thing, man. And I mean, I can imagine that just like we were just talking about, man, the way that geese flock and fly in such large numbers, man, it's probably running through them pretty good. Yeah. Snow geese, snow geese travel by the thousands. I mean, you're never, I mean, you'll see small groups of snow geese, but a lot of times like when they're roosting, definitely like up North, it ain't nothing to see 20, 30,000 snow geese at one time. So you have, if you have some some sick geese in a big big group like that, I mean, it ain't nothing to kill so many geese like that. Yeah, it's spread. I feel like they'd spread it pretty easily, and I don't know how it spread, but I feel like them traveling so tight and in the numbers they travel that they're spreading the shit out of it. Now, I don't even really know exactly what it is. I've seen videos of these birds just out. It look like they're out of their mind. You know, they landed in some place they'd never land usually, and they're just messed up. I mean, yeah, I seen it firsthand this year. The first. First time I've actually seen it firsthand this year was in December. I went up hunting with my buddy Cole Townsend and uh, Calvin for they they guy for Cadillac Creek, and I went and hunted up hunted some lesters and snows with them. And uh, I've never that's the first time I've ever seen a Canada geese get it. We uh, we hunted a little loaf pond. The uh, the birds were coming back still on that water about midday, so we set up. They set up like nine thirty ten o'clock. We was waiting for the lesters to come back, and while we were setting up, you could look on the other side of the pond where these birds were roosting that morning. There was like 10 or 15 birds. You could just tell they're just limping, and you could just tell they were sick. They had the avian flu is what they had, which which we got rid of them birds. But we made a hunt two or three days later. We was hunting just straight snow geese that were roosting. They were roosting in a big uh, cattle farm. They uh, they raised feedlots, feedlots what they call them up there. Yeah. There's oh, there so many cows. There's like 50,000 cows in this feedlot. But they had a big pond in the middle. That's where all these birds were roosting. And uh, we, had, which we had a bunch of birds coming. We had a single, a single juvie. He was coming, he was doing it dirty. He's come right on in and landed. And we said, well, he's just going to be a cherry bear. We'll let him land and get the big group behind him. And next thing I know, I look. I can see him because we're, sit, we're sitting under the full bodies. I could, I could watch him. He's just he's just gimping, falling over, and you could just tell he was sick. Next yeah. thing you know, he's just dead. It's like that. And that's the first time I've actually he seen him. He just died right there. He decoyed I mean, and died. He died. I mean, that's just it's crazy how it affects yeah. birds. And I, I'm curious if uh, – I mean, I'm sure you can still, uh, can still eat those birds. You always see – uh, people post pictures of the rice breast. You're not supposed to eat those birds, right? So what if they have the avian flu? Can you eat those birds, or are you not supposed to eat them? I've heard a lot of lot of stories about you're not supposed to eat them. Then I've heard stuff where you're not supposed to let your dog grab it, this and that. I, I personally don't think it hurts your dog or hurts to even handle A lot of people say don't even handle them. But I personally don't think it affects the humans like they say it does. But if I seen a sick bird like that, I personally Probably personally wouldn't eat it myself. No, I yeah, I, I would just steer clear, play it safe. Yeah. I mean, it's such a small. I mean, as of right now, um, you know, your birds that are coming in and and decoying in big groups that are capable of doing that, I would say they more than likely don't have it yeah. if they're up and out and moving. You know, um, but I, it was interesting what you said earlier um, about those birds. You know, from where the geese were roosting, every you know, all the geese get off the roost, they go out to feed, uh, and then, and then the loaf and, 
you know, you still have those sick birds that kind of just stay down. They're real jacked mm-hmm. up. Maybe they can't get up and move, and they're just kind of flopping around over there out of their minds. Um, but that, to me, you know, would be a good indication that, like, I'm sure we'll see some research after this year, you know. Now that, you know, it's it's something that's got eyes on it. It's something that we're aware of. And, you know, we were talking in the break about how there's going to be some, some changes potentially made because of it. Um, but being able to say, all right, you know, where these were the, this is where the birds are roosting. They get up off the roost. Okay. These birds that are all jacked up laying around, they've got the flu. Let's go get them. And then now we have a sample that we can have data, collect data from and, you know, try to figure out what this is and, you know, how it, you know, how it plays a part within, uh, the snow geese population. And so I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. The avian flu, it's, it's been here for a while, but we've never just seen the, the kill population or the kill yeah. numbers that we're seeing now. I mean, we've, we've never seen hundreds of thousands of birds just dead because of this disease and stuff. Now, it's and affecting it, geese and ducks, correct? Yes, it's, it's affecting everything. And it, and it really, now I think it comes from like chickens. I think it's a poultry disease. I think it's where it comes from. It, and I'm not I'm not scientific on the avian flu or nothing, but that's just stuff that I'm reading. It's it's getting in these chicken farms, killing all these chickens and stuff too. Yeah. And I would, I would imagine, this is just speculation on my part, but um, – you know, that's, that's gotta be something that since, you know, it's been around for so long, it's, it's probably evolved to a point where it's just mutating and, you know, continuing to change along with, you know, everything else and just time, you know, um, and there will be, you know, a reaction to that within a population, um, where there is an immunity built up and then they can, you know, then come back from it. Um, but I was telling Colton earlier, you know, with, with snow geese, the way that they are, if there was some form of just, mass extinction event where we have a loss of just tons and tons of snow geese and we say hey whoa we can't hunt these birds anymore because there's not a whole whole pile of them like there was last year you know we lost you know a million birds or whatever and it may not have to be anything crazy like that but i can imagine that uh, that the snow geese would probably bounce back from that pretty quickly um just seeing them in the way that i've seen them over the years uh the big flocks thousands of birds grouping together you know and i'm not sure the gestation period and and you know within geese how quickly they can reproduce but that would be a good question for you i know you're you're a, a, a bird raising fellow over there i do, do you, i do i do raise quite a bit of migratory waterfowl i got pintail widgeon blue wings mallards canada geese gadwall I, I raise it all i got a i got a permit to the state that way i can raise and sell migratory waterfowl so you yeah. have to have a permit just to be able to sell them or be yes. able to raise them? Yeah, you have to have a permit to sell them. Any, anybody in the United States can own them. You just, like when I sell them, I, I got a piece of paper I got to fill out with your information, my information. It basically tells you that you can own these birds legally. You just can't sell them without getting a permit from the state. I got you. And uh, these these birds, I mean, it, just like any other bird, they only they only roost, or roost, they only nest in the springtime. Usually, probably March. March is when my wood ducks start laying. And they'll lay throughout may july and then that's it they may lay my wood ducks they lay a couple clutches a year but like my pintail stuff they're only going to lay one clutch a year and that and that's one one reason i think the pintail number the pintail number is so low is just they just don't nest they don't lay uh the amount of eggs like some of these other birds do like my pintail they don't they don't lay but four to six eggs my mine do i and i'm sure more lay more eggs but like my mallards it ain't nothing for them to lay 12 15 eggs in a nest yeah. and i think that's why the pintail limits are so low like they are and I've, heard, and I've heard rumors we're not even going to get to kill pintail like next year and stuff, but I don't know how true it is. And I was saying about that, I mean, if you're going to make the limit one bird, why even, you know, 
leave it like that. Just let them rest for a year or two, and then let us kill more than one. You know, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I would. Um. Yeah. I don't really know where to weigh in on that. Uh, you know, you want to see the population pounce, bounce back, you know, for, for guys that are passionate hunters like us. We want to go out there and, man, Pintail is, is, is up there on the list. Those are beautiful birds. That, oh, yeah. to me, is is a trophy that is, you know, it's fighting the, my green heads in my mind. You know, like I, I go back and forth between the two. Pintails have always been one of my favorites. Beautiful bird. Um, You know, something you want to, you know, it's, it's the goal, the trophy, right? You know, for – for the, the sportsman aspect of it. Um, we're not having to, you know, we're blessed in this day and age to not have to go out there and do it so we can eat tonight. Uh, a lot of that is is the sport of it. And, man, just going out there and getting a pintail to come down from the ozone layer a mile high watching those birds work is incredible, man. I love shooting pintail. Yeah, we're, we're lucky down here in southeast Texas where we are. We actually get a lot of pintail down here. There's a lot of places in the United States. They don't get that many pintail. There's a, a bunch of, of them here, man. Oh, there's... There's so uh, we got some leased land in Winnie, and there's just there's so many pintail on it right now. It's ridiculous. But there's there's really not a whole lot of other birds there. I mean, we're not even seeing the spoonbills like we normally see. Yeah, but it's just thousands and thousands of just pintail. Man, I was just it's so crazy because you feel like being this far south that we're uh, like over the years, you know, you're like, oh man, the guys that are up north of us are getting all the opportunities on all these good birds and. You know, we're just we're just getting the leftovers. You know, down here we're scraping and, and you know scrambling around trying to hunt. And I, I do think 100% that it is much more difficult to hunt birds down here. But we do have opportunities that some people up you know farther north don't have. You know, I feel like up north they definitely get more geese, definitely get the mallards. But we have a a pretty diverse um, a diverse population of species down here, man. I mean, you go out in the marsh. And go on a hunt, and you really don't know what to expect. I mean, teal, you're going to probably shoot teal, but, I mean, we have pretty much everything. And if you shoot a greenhead, we don't get a lot of mallards down here. So that's kind of rare, but, I mean, we have a pretty diverse population of birds down here. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you kill a mallard down here, you're pretty much the talk of the town, really. Yeah. Uh, up north, that ain't, their mallards are kind of like our teal down here, I feel like. They there's are. There's so many mallards up there. We just... Just over the years, there's so much crop fields up there. I just don't think the birds come down here like they used to. I wouldn't I, I, if I were them either. I mean, just going on that trip, seeing all that food for them up there. Yeah. Why the hell would you come down here yeah, when I, you can sit up there and eat? Yeah, oh, I have yeah. no you idea why they birds. And they travel. Them birds yeah. travel a long ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah. Coming out of Canada, yeah. that's what two thousand miles out of Canada, all yeah. the way down here. That's that's a long ways. Beautiful long country, ways Duluth. Beautiful country, Duluth. Beautiful country, Duluth. <laughs> Yeah, man, I was, <clears throat> you know, just kind of thinking about that the other day, and I think we discussed it a little bit on a previous episode, but there's, a, there's always the argument of of birds migrating and, and shortstopping the migration before the birds make it completely south, and, you know, a lot of sour guys down here, all oh, these ducks unlimited and all these, you know, outfitters coming up, you know, to the north of us and heated ponds, and, you know, there's so much, you know, more in the waterfowl industry now, you know, that there's a lot more hunters, a lot more outfitters. And, but tell you the truth, man, going up there and seeing that just, it's just the amount of farmland up there, the amount of food availability for the birds up there. You know, it's, it's like Mitchell said, it's, you're already set, you know, and if the cold doesn't push you down, you can sit there and eat on a field for as long as you want. Why leave? Yep. As long, long as they got open water and a food source, there's no reason for them birds to migrate. Besides, I mean, the cold temps make them migrate, of course. But 
if you got an open pond and a, and a cornfield next to it, I mean, why would the birds want to come down here? Why would they want to come sit in this old nasty southeast Texas marsh down here? Yeah, <laughs> and and even even yeah. even the birds, like you said about the feedlots, like those birds have protection. Nope. You can't go and hunt a feedlot. And I, I mean, if you go out there and look at them, they will be slap full. I we had man, we were so close. I was looking at a um at a spot in northern Oklahoma, and it was it was dead set. There's mallards pouring into it by the hundreds and. Um, but it was in too close of a proximity to a feedlot. I mean, the birds didn't have to go nowhere. They were yeah. just sitting there and eating, and they were protected. They had that safety. They had that open water, and they had that food source. They didn't have to go nowhere, and you so know, they so didn't plan on it. What's crazy is we, we set up and watch some of them feedlots sometimes, just just watching the roost and stuff, and a lot of them ducks and geese, they'll actually feed out of the cow's feed. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Yeah. And ducks that get out of the pond, fly up, and they'll fly through the cows and land in their feed trough, eat their feed. I've never seen anything. I don't oh, know sure. how they learn to do stuff like that. I guess just over the years. And hey, them birds there. are smarter than you think. Hey, man. like we say when we're working them in, you know, all it takes is one. Yeah. One of them's got to do it. The rest one will follow, chair, you buddy. know. That might have been what it was. That old that old lone duck was like, I'm going to go try these cattle. Yep. I'm going to see if these things I mean, are. just seeing them. I mean, if we didn't have our hide on point up there when we were hunting up north, they they knew it, man. They saw us, and they knew something wasn't right, and they'd go land on the opposite side of the field. Them birds, they know, man. They, they're they're evolving, if you ask me. They're getting smarter every year. Yeah. And they know what's right and what's wrong. I mean, a lot of the times we trick them, you know, and that's the point of hunting. It's fun, you know. Yeah. You trick a wild bird into thinking your spread's real and – they're going to come land, but them them fuckers are smart, man. Yeah, and, and hunting up north, I mean, it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. It's a grind. It is. But definitely when you're hunting, like, down here in southeast Texas, them birds have been shot for 2,000 miles all the way down here. They they know what decoy spreads look like. They know what mojos look like. It, it's hard to hunt them birds down here. It really is. And when you go and shoot a three- or four-man down here, you actually really done something around here. Oh, yeah. It's something to, to north, be proud of, I, yeah. for sure. It's crazy to me that, you know, the, the little subtlety things that they pick up on, you know, um, we watched them and we had one hunt where I think we killed 15 birds. Um, but that was, that was only half of our limit, you know, and <clears throat> we're trying to get the limit, man. It's just so tough. And it's, you know, the hide's good. It's just, we don't have the brush really. And, and there's very, you know, I don't think we were completely invisible, obviously, or else we would have worked more birds in, but it's, it was such subtle things, you know, that were, that were different, you know, that they can just, they were just easily picking up on, um, and it just blows my mind how, you know, it's, I mean, for them, it's, it's, it's fight or flight, right? You know, it's, they, they pick up on one little thing that they don't like and that, that blows it. I will say this though. There's a bunch of smart ones, but there's also a bunch of dumb ones. I'll <laughs> tell y'all a story right now. We were up there and, uh, Colton and a couple of the other guys that were with us were going and parking the trucks and, you know, getting everything situated at the road. And me and Matt were left there at the blinds. We had just set up and, Matt was like, man, I think I'm going to go take me a shit in the ditch. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, man, yeah, go ahead. And old Matthew's over there shitting in the ditch, and I see this this big old honker, you know. He's uh, he's giving us a look, and I said, Matt, I don't have a call on me. Can you call him? So Matt's in the process of taking a shit, and he starts calling by mouth. And he's actually pretty talented at it. Starts calling at him by mouth, and I was like, shit, where's my gun? He was like, just shoot mine. It was leaned up against his blind, he called that bird right into the spread, and I was just squatting behind the layouts, and I stood up and dropped him. I had my pants around my ankles, and <laughs> keep in mind, I'm, I'm standing I'm standing in about six inches of snow squatted over, just having, 
Man, that, that trip, man, my schedule, my body was not on the right schedule. Oh, I, I, I think I shouldn't have told it maybe twice the whole trip. I it was counted always mine, in a and it was too. a sugar beet field, always. Yeah, I was, man, I was, <laughs> my body was just not in sync with the time that I was inside. Okay, when I was inside, my body didn't want to do it. And as soon as I went outside, my brain was like, all right, Matt, it's time to take a shit. And so found myself in that field. Just squatted over, and sure enough, here come the birds. And it was always, you know, you go to park the truck. We, I think we averaged um, every day at least one or two birds. When the truck was getting parked and when half of everybody was out of the blind, um, there's usually only like one or two of us back at the, at the layouts. And while y'all were parking the trucks, there was one or two birds that did it every single day. I'm pretty sure every day y'all shot at least one or two birds yeah. while we were going to pick And y'all come back, y'all get them? Like, shit, yeah, we got yeah. them. I'm sure y'all shooting boom, boom, boom in the distance, and I can see a couple fall. Yeah, man, that was that was super cool. But, yeah, I was over there squatting the ditch, man, just giving them the old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it worked, too. They're, they're definitely a different bird to hunt. That's, they're not the smartest bird. They're not the, just the dumbest bird either, but it's some of the easiest birds to hunt, I think, in my opinion, like, like snow geese, snow geese are tough to hunt. I ain't gonna lie to nobody. That's probably the toughest bird there is to hunt in pattern. You think snow so? hundred percent. Snow geese are hard to hunt. Uh, I'm here. I'll tell you what I would like to do in the upcoming years is go on a speckled belly smash. I would like to go find some specks, man. I haven't ever really gone and really hammered on the specks. Arcan- I've shot Arkansas. snows. I've shot Canada's now and shoot some specks. Yeah, Ar- Arkansas is probably going to be your best bet on the specks. They get a bunch of speckled bellies in Arkansas, but... I say that two, yeah, two years ago in North Dakota, we went in October. That's almost all we shot every single day was a, a five or six man speckleberries. Man, there were so many speckleberries in there, and that's kind of what I planned my trip on this year to shoot with speckleberries because that's all we saw. Which we shot a bunch of mallards and stuff too, but but this year we just didn't hardly see no specks. Which we didn't see the snows like we usually see up there either. We just seen a bunch of bunch of mallards and a bunch of Canadas. I feel like Arkansas would be a shit show. Now I'm uh, I'm curious <clears throat> to talk to somebody else who's hunted specks outside of our area because I was in Kansas a couple of years back and, you know, we saw some speckled bellies and, you know, of course we're out there duck hunting, don't have any goose decoys out. We're hunting open water and, you know, if you've ever hunted geese, you know, ideally you don't want to be hunting out on open water like you would hunting ducks, but we see some speckled bellies and, ah, you know, it's just specks. And they're mile high and I'm like, we're not even going to bother with them. Well, I was hunting with Connor and he had that red bone on him and he started calling at him and it was like, they flipped the switch. They started looking for us. Didn't have a goose decoy out. We're hunting over a duck spread in the water, in a freshwater marsh. And they started working us, man. We worked them down into about 15 yards over our head. And the whole time they got close enough, you can look and see their heads. And every time you'd give them a little something on that call, they'd turn and start looking for us. Yeah. It was the craziest thing I'd ever yeah. seen because of it's so it was so different than the way that they work down here. It's a, it, it just felt so much easier. Yeah. And I was curious to see, but how did you feel about that hunting them outside of Southeast Texas? I mean, did they, you think they worked a lot better? Or? Oh, they do. And they're, they're one of the, I think they're one of the talkative birds there is besides Canada geese. I mean, you, you get on a Canada call and turn to Canada, but a speckle belly, he could be out there a mile and you hit him one time with that, that speckle belly call and he poof, yeah. he'll come right to you. I, de- I definitely think they're one of the talkative birds there is. I don't sure. know why it's so fucking hard to decoy geese in Southeast Texas, but it is. It is hard to decoy a goose down here. They are. And, Especially uh, hunting over water, you know, out in the marsh. I cannot say I've ever decoyed a goose out in the marsh. We've always shot them in passing when we've shot them. Yeah, which here got guiding recently down in Winnie. I've noticed the speckle bellies are either going to come or they're not. 
Sometimes you'll get on a call and they'll react, come right in. Nothing to it, like cake. Then again, you'll hit a, you hit a call and they'll flare off of it. Like, it's ridiculous. And these birds down here are smart. Like I said, they've been shot all over the country. But yeah. And surprisingly, we've actually shot a lot of snow geese down here recently and actually decoyed really good. And I'm yeah. very surprised for hunting down here. Yeah. But they're speculating. They're either hit or miss. You're either going to call them, they're going to come right in, or you're going to call them, they're going to flare. It ain't just what it is. Yeah, I'm just waiting on that call, man. Uh, I know this is the last weekend. I'm just waiting on old CC to give me a shout and say, hey, man, let's go on a hunt out there on that private property yeah. I'm guiding on. Oh, we'll, we'll get shame, on them, that's man. for sure. We'll definitely get on them. No Damn doubt. shame you got to work this weekend. But, unfortunately, I am working days this weekend. So, my, think, my duck season uh, pretty much over. Yeah, and it's a shame, but um, I think I'm going to try to make one more Sunday. I think uh, – I can do it. I'm going to. I think. I think it's going to be good this weekend. We're supposed to have some rain. Some rain Sunday, I believe. Yeah. Ninety percent chance of rain, and tomorrow. I think tomorrow's going to be a good day. We got like a 15 mile an hour south southeast wind. I think it could be pretty good tomorrow too. Yeah. So one other thing, getting back onto the topic of um, of you pin raising birds, man. I was mm-hmm. curious to ask you this the other day. Uh, I came over to your house, and you know we're kind of getting some stuff that we had left with one another, and uh, off of that last trip that we made and you know you i was like man i want to see your birds i want to see your ducks and you're like yeah come on i gotta go feed them man you seem to be really passionate about um you know the birds that you have that you've hatched off and you know that you're raising um and so i just was curious you know as a waterfowl hunter you know you go out and you hunt ducks and you also raise them um you know how does that translate how does that interest you know how do you maintain that that interest, I guess, is just, you know, you've, you've got ducks at home. You've got, yeah. you see ducks every day, you know, mm-hmm. it's nothing new to you. It's not, yeah. it's not exotic in, in a way that, you know, I don't have ducks in my yard. I only see ducks when I'm out hunting. And so yeah. it was just interesting to me to, to kind of see how that all meshed together being that you do that. And you're also a very avid hunter. Yeah. I, I catch my time, myself out there times. Just, I sit out there for 30 minutes to an hour sometimes just watching these birds, just see how they do. Like, like I, I got, 20-something mallards, and I got, of course, all these other ducks. And I, I kind of see how the mallards talk to each other. I like, I like to see how they're quacking each other. And I kind of I kind of take that to the field with me. I kind of see how these ducks are talking to each other. And that's kind of how I, I try to talk to wild ducks. Like, I've I've tried to figure out how these pintail are talking to one another, the widgeon. The widgeon are always just whistling up a storm. And these mallards, a lot of times people just hammer on these mallard calls. I've noticed, like, the, my mallards at the house, they really don't they really don't quack that much. They just, wah, 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 wah. Instead of just people just hammering on like a hail call. And I, I take that to the field with me a lot of times. Try to help me out. I feel like that's a pretty smart thing to do, honestly, watch them. You know, if I had ducks like you did, like like you do, I would sit and just watch like you do and, and study them almost. Yep. And, I mean, it's a smart way to go about it. You can listen to them call how they actually sound. Yep. And I would love to get a couple birds. Mm-hmm. I'd like to dig a pond in the future. Raise a couple of birds. I don't know if I'd get into selling them or anything like that, but just have a few, uh, you know, gadwall, mallards, pintail. That'd be badass. Yeah, yeah, and there's a pretty there's a pretty big market out there for them actually, which I sell a lot of them on Facebook and stuff. But uh, it, most of the people that are buying them, they're buying them just they're city people. Just put them in their house or not in their house, but they build a little aviary in their backyard, keep ducks and stuff. But I mean, a lot of these ducks are going for. $125 a pair, which that's what I sell most of my birds for, besides wood ducks. Wood ducks are $80 a pair, but there's actually a really big market out there, surprisingly. That's pretty cool, and that's, I mean, definitely a cool little side gig for sure. Mm-hmm. Make a little extra cash, sell 
hatchlings. Yeah. Now, it, what age do you sell them? I mean, you hatch them and then. Yeah, well, it depends. Sometimes I'll hatch them and keep them till I can tell males from females, and then sell them or drakes and hens to sell them. But a, a lot of these people that I'm selling them to, they want them as chicks when they, as soon as they hatch. That way, they can they can kind of grow up with them. That way, they're used to them. Kind of like my birds. I, I started all my birds when they're young, so they're kind of used to me now. Like my geese, I think my geese are my Canada geese are two years old now, and I hatched them as soon as they come out of egg. I had them, and uh, back, back when they were I don't know three or four months old, I always kept them in a pen. I was, I wonder what they'd do if I ever let them out. So, which they couldn't fly. They're still a little bitty. I don't want out there and open their pen. They just follow me. They follow me like I was their mother. I could, I'd take them all around the pasture and they'd go get in the pond. I'd come back and tell them to get in the pen. They'd go get in their pen. <laughs> and still, even to this day when they're fully grown and they could fly, they, they could leave today if they wanted to. So that you don't clip them or nothing? or No, nope, I don't clip any. Well, I got a, my gadwall drake. I think that's the only one clip. But all, all my migratory birds... Or in a uh, enclosed pen. I, by, by my permit, I have to keep them in a pen. But my mallards and my Canada geese, they they could fly off any day they want to, but they never do. And they're all full wing, and uh, they'll be in the back of the pasture. And they'll, I don't know, I don't know how, but they could recognize my truck. As soon as I pull in from work, here they come. They'll fly and land right by my truck. Like, it, it's unreal. <laughs> Dude, that was crazy. crazy. I pulled up to his house, and those those Canada geese were just all over the place. And I went to back and I was like, man, are they going to get out of the way? He's like, yeah, they're like dogs. They just hang out. You know, I said, what do they do? He said, oh, they just stand around, they sleep, they eat, they shit. That's about it, you know, and they just hang cool. out. And what's crazy is, uh, la- I think it was last year, the only time, the first time they ever left, there's there's one time they left. We had a big windstorm, and they left. Like, I, every time I go outside, I always see my geese. Well, I didn't see them. I kind of got worried, so I went to Grandpa's pasture. I went to my uncle's pasture. I couldn't find them. I said, well, I say like, they they went somewhere. I so I, I picked which way the wind was flying or going that day. I say like, you know what? I said like, I'm just gonna make a loop. I said like, I gotta find my geese, and because uh, they're almost like kids to me now. And uh, so I went down, went down Brown Road, and I got on Google Maps and I found three ponds. There was a pond to the south, north, and east. And uh, so I went check one pond. Damn, they ain't there. All right. So I went to the other pond. Damn, they ain't there. I said like, all right. Well, there's one more pond. I'm gonna go check it. Sure as shit. I pull up and there they are. They're sitting like 80 yards off the county road, and uh, of course it's fenced in private property. I didn't know what to do, and the guy went. Or the, he had a gate, and his house was way off in the distance. So I was like, "Well, I can't just walk up this guy's house." And uh, so I just hollered him, "Hey, y'all, y'all, come on!" And sure as shit, if not, all five of the Canada geese walked to my truck. I pick them up, put them in my back seat, <laughs> and I took them to the house. Sure, that's did. pretty cool. And man, that's the only did. time they ever lived. That's pretty cool stuff, but uh, definitely a lot of good times had with you, man, uh, up north. We truly, all of us really enjoyed the trip, and hopefully we'll be making several more in the future. Yep, we one have one, again. do have one plan, another one planned for November, and um, hopefully we kill them again. But, I think uh, it'll be pretty good, which I've been to the, this area. I've been up here for, I've hunted two years, so this will be my third year in that area, and I, it's been pretty good to me. We've shot a lot of pheasants too. Not that's one deal we do while we're not scouting, go around and shoot pheasants. Oh, and that stuff. that alone there was a treat in itself yeah, shooting cool, pheasant. But uh, running low on time, um, Colton. Definitely appreciate you hopping on yeah, today. Y'all. Looking forward to our future hunts. Hopefully, we will get to make some local ones as well. Oh yeah, Matthew. Pleasure as always. Oh yeah, I, I like getting to. I haven't jumped on a podcast with you in a hot minute. It's been a hot minute, but uh, yeah. y'all be sure to check us out on all platforms: Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and uh, appreciate it. We'll see y'all next time.